Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Burning Bridges podcast with Mike Spriegel. I am your host, Mike Spriegel. I appreciate all of you taking the time to listen to this. This is being recorded right after my birthday, and today's episode is a rather unique and special episode for a few different reasons, because people that know me know I have a weird obsession about this just really cheesy movie. Matter of fact, about probably 10 years ago, I made a blog where I used this as, you know, one of my first blogs to talk about it. But before we get into that, just do a, do a little general housekeeping itself. First and foremost, feel free to follow us on Facebook at uh, Burning Bridges with my, uh, Mike Spriegel Podcast page. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod. Otherwise, outside of that, uh, just things that I'm into at this point. New Nine Inch Nails album came out a couple of weeks ago, and with that, I did do a guest spot on the podcast, uh, Pod Like a Hole, which covers and reviews all of Nine Inch Nails albums, so give that podcast a listen. Great uh, listen all together. Outside of that, uh, yesterday hit up uh, about multiple breweries, drank so many different beers. Uh, one of the uh, breweries I'll call out and give a little props to. Probably the favorite I stop I had yesterday was at Barrel Theory, based out of downtown St. Paul. Uh, they had a great style called Island Fudge, which was just fantastic. So uh, that probably covers most of the little things I like to cover at the start. Uh, to go ahead and to get into this, I'm not alone. I have a guest. I have with me my friend John. Say hi, John. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Yes, John, it is good for you to be back. Uh, I invited John, and John had a unique experience because we just watched this podcast for the first time in terms this of... Right, this not this podcast. He just watched the movie for the first time. My experience with this movie is when I first watched it, I was a teenager, and they used to show this movie at about 1 or 2 in the morning on like TBS. For good reason, I think. Well, that was like back then when like their movie catalog, they showed like a lot of weird movies or animes in the late hours. And the funny thing too is like they'd be edited as well. So you'd see like little gaps or things that didn't make sense. But Uh, the TV edit. Oh, yeah. But this movie fascinated me as a teenager because of how batshit crazy it was. And this movie I'm talking about is the 1976 movie Logan's Run. Now, Logan's Run came out in 76, came out before Star Wars, but it came out in a period of time when there was a lot of just these weird post-apocalyptic dystopian movies. You had things like a Mega Man, you had things like Westworld, you had things... Soylent Green. Right, Soylent Green, where like everybody was trying to envision what the future was going to be like. And the future was weirdly happy or bleak or both at the yeah, same kinda, time. Yeah, it kind of depends on how you want to look at it. It's definitely portrayed as being happy, but there's you can tell just beneath the surface it's kind of a... There's a lot more going on. It's kind of hard to put a finger on. Well, and this movie, too, was also based on a book that came out several years earlier. And they had a lot of problems trying to adapt this into a movie because they didn't know what direction they wanted to go with. And... Ironically enough, like this, give the premise of the movie is this, is that in the beginning of the movie, they are very ham-fisted about telling you what the movie's about. It has a nice narration on there. It's year 2200 something it's something. 20, 2274 or something like that, I want to say. Right. Somewhere, somewhere in there. It's in the future. And the way it works is that society works perfectly fine, apparently. They have robots and automated things that take care of everybody but you can't have a dream world without a catch and the catch is is that at the age of 30 you need to do what they call renew meaning you go into this process which is called a carousel so imagine a merry-go-round they dress you like a combination of a mexican luchador a hockey player and a luge player that's Pretty much, yeah, good description. These odd white, they come out in robes, and then after they disrobe, they've got these weird red and white jumpsuits on. They've got these Jason-type hockey masks underneath that. They're, they're kind of creepy looking. Yeah, it's this goofy thing. And then eventually they start levitating. Uh, we watch this on Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray does a good job of exposing every acrobat wire that was used in the shot yeah. to have them float up to the top. 
and then they explode. And the concept is, is that you go through this process and then you have the chance or ability, or they say you're guaranteed to renew, meaning you're reborn and then they have nursery. So I guess it's this weird pseudo reincarnation dream. Yeah. They don't really get into it a whole lot. They made that everybody's chanting renew, renew. And that's, I think even in the title card thing, it kind of says that some people renew, but some don't, but they never really explain what the process is. Like are the people that are exploding? Is that, is that a good thing? Are those the ones that are dying or what? Like I said, they don't they don't really fully explain it or why it's a good thing or what's what's exactly happening. The the movie has this process where it does a lot of exposition where it explains certain parts of the movie through character dialogue for us the viewer to help try to explain, but it only explains enough to kind of try to satisfy your base question. But then you ask additional questions and it makes no sense. Now, one might ask, well, what happens if somebody doesn't want to go through a new process or wants to continue living? Well. Then, our main character, who's Logan, he is uh, what you call a Sandman. And what Sandman do is that they go and they hunt down the runners and they kill them. And I guess if you get killed in this way, then there's no chance for renewal. So Turn into a pile of goo. Well, then they have the cleanup company come and then, yeah, they dissolve your bodies. And I, it's, it's this weird thing. Now, one thing that is a dramatic difference in the book versus the movie. And it doesn't make sense because reading what the prom, the premise of the book is, there is a lot that they changed tremendously from the book to the movie, but they did it because they're like, we have to find a way to make this appeal to people. Cause one of the questions I always initially had was why do they call them Sandman as you know, the people that hunt things down. Yeah. It seems like in, in the movie, at least it seems like an arbitrary name, but in the book, the reason they're called Sandman is because, they didn't use this weird luchador merry-go-round to go ahead and kill people. They had a chamber that people were put in, and they were killed with gas. And that's basically why they were called Sandman, because it was like they were putting people to sleep. Interesting. Right. I can kind of see why they didn't go with that in the movie version, though. Right, because visually, it's not 70s enough. And that's what this movie really does. Is it, Well, very, very Holocaust-y, too, kind of, I think. I'm sure that was still fresh in a lot of people's mind. Yeah, good point there. But yeah, the movie visually tries to do everything it possibly can to try to... I don't know. It's, it, it tries to be a spectacle, I think. The whole carousel scene, there's lights coming down, and they, you know the carousel starts to turn, and they slowly drift up, and they're doing this weird floating, spinning, dancing acrobat type thing so they they definitely try to make a spectacle of it and I, I don't think you could have pulled off with if they had just walked into a gas chamber and fell asleep now here's where it gets even more amusing i don't know if you read this or not about this movie but so the movie itself they use a lot of miniatures tons of green screen work and just weird just you know special effects what if i were to tell you that this won an oscar for its special effects oh wow that's I would say it's definitely a, a clear that this was pre-Star Wars. I mean, pre-like, you know, that jump in special effects and that jump in that technology. Because, I mean, looking at this, you, it's very clear that this is miniatures. And I'm not sure how, you know, I'm not a special effects guy, so I don't know how you pull off not making it look like this is just basically a train set that they're filming, you know, panning across. And, you know, they have little motorized cars going across it. But it was very clear to me that, you know... And, you and I'm sure anybody else that would watch this, that this is a miniature well, set. There were some scenes, too, where you saw, like, the background was a matte painting, where you knew that all right, they're trying to have a forced perspective, and then the painting itself is yeah. just a picture. Now, the, the other thing that makes this amusing about this winning an Oscar is that our last episode of this podcast, which got, you know, corrupted, was Black Hole. And when we were discussing the Black Hole, that was another thing that was of amusement, is that the Black Hole won... Uh, you know, for Academy Awards or special effects. And the thing is, this movie came out a year before Star Wars. So you look at what this movie, what the Academy thought was amazing for special effects, and then you see what Star Wars did like a year later. It's it makes leaps, this movie yeah. look like shit. It's it's leaps and bounds above. It's, it's kind of insane to think that these are just a year apart. Yeah, I, but going into further into the plot, the premise is this, is that there's... Two uh, Sandmen, one of them's Logan, and then there's his friend and, you know, I don't know, I guess police partner, if you will, Francis. And Logan, 
early in the movie is asking questions about you know the renewal process, which Francis discounts as why are you even asking questions like this? Why challenge something like you know this? And it, it establishes immediately that Logan does what he does, but there is a minor amount of skepticism which would make him possibly susceptible to believing other things. And as it goes on, there there's another like. Well, I'll touch back on how he meets Jessica, who's the female character who will become a runner with him as the movie goes on. But during a debriefing with their computer system, for some reason the computer system does something it's never done before and wants Logan to go underrun, undercover to try to infiltrate the runners. So basically every character has a crystal on their palm, and when it turns, you know, blinks, that means it's their time to die. And... If it's solid, it's fine. So it changes his crystal so he can infiltrate the runners. He meets back up with a woman that he met in a bizarre way, which I'll cover in a second. But eventually he becomes a runner. And in, through the process, he just doesn't become undercover. He believes in everything once he starts seeing all the things that's going on. Yeah, it was kind of hard to tell if he was going along with it because he was trying to just play his undercover role or if he was buying into it. He definitely obviously later buys into it but at first it's kind of unclear as to whether or not you know okay i buy into this i need to run and get out of here or if he's just i need to follow my orders and you know uncover this secret you know society of people that are trying to run away and through like an entire series of just i don't i wouldn't don't even want to call them plot devices i'd say i don't even want to call it filler it's like well we need to have some adversity for our hero to fill you know fight against so you know, he goes to a, a face transformation shop that he learned that previous runners have used to change their identities. And then he infiltrates the underground. And then he goes into an ice cavern where a psychotic robot tries to freeze them. And Yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah, then they eventually leave these domed areas and they come into the world. And, hey, it turns out that everything's Fallout 3, where they're actually by Washington, D.C., and they go to the Washington Monuments. They meet an old man, which they've never seen an old man before. And yeah, they find out that this old man's raised and grown, you know, lived outside of the dome and out of their perfect society. And, they and also batshit insane. Yes. Well, hey, if you're isolated and all you had was like eight, nine cats, of course you're going to yeah. be insane. Fair enough. So they decide that, hey, we need to go back and tell everybody that this exists. And he goes back and they get try to tell, but nobody listens. They get captured and then they have Logan go to the computer to debrief the computer to ask if his mission was successful, and then the computer goes crazy. Yeah, that was kind of an odd scene. It kind of does this weird, he's in this little cage in between, and there's these little cylinder-type screen things around him, and asks him questions, but he doesn't physically answer them. It's almost like it's pulling it out of his head and putting it on this little holographic thing. But it doesn't like the answers that's giving him. Like he says, there is, it's asking, you know, the question is, where is sanctuary? And he says, there is no sanctuary, and it just says, like, I forget his exact words, but the computer basically doesn't believe him, even though it's pulling the answers directly out of his head. So it's not like he can... You wouldn't think, at least, it'd be too easy to lie in that situation. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to address this as probably one of the weirdest plot points of the movie, but, you know, this is a very 70s movie. There is things in this movie you can tell that when people think of the future sometimes, they uh, and they make movies that are made in certain periods what people's vision of the future are, it's amazing how they try to incorporate aspects of what modern society is. Like, everybody's wearing these bright red, green, and orange jumpsuits. Yeah, everybody's, yeah, not quite jumpsuits, but they're these weird, the men have these huge plunging necklines that go all the way down to their waist, and they've got these huge open sleeves, and it's all these, not quite pastel, but, you know, greens and reds and blues and just all these crazy colors and... Yeah, it's very bizarre fashion sense. And I, I think the other thing that's interesting, too, so how Logan meets Jessica, who would eventually, they would become romantically involved and both become runners, is that after a long day of doing his Sandman work and, and you know, killing runners, murdering people, he goes back and there's this thing. It's like this weird hologram thing. And basically, it's almost like a visual version of Craigslist hookups, where it's essentially, it's like, well... Hard day of work, I work hard, I want to play hard, let's find somebody to screw. So he's going through his options on there. It's funny because it almost reminds me in some ways like of Demolition Man, like 20, 30 years later where, you know, Sylvester Stallone's going through this visual monitor and, you know, 
it, it, it's cheesy. And the first thing, you know, he pulls up, wait, there's a guy in there that's looking at them all. <laughs> it's like, hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> and he's like, nah, I don't want to do a guy. And then they bring up, you know, Jessica. And basically, if you select a person, you hit it and they, like, teleport there? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of bizarre. At first, I, my first thought was that it was, like, creating, it was, like, the Star Trek holocron thing where it was making like a solid hologram or it was like it was making a robot or something it wasn't it wasn't immediately clear that that was an actual living breathing person uh, well the terms they used to because then she comes out and then she sees he's a sandman and she's wearing the ankh which is like the uh, symbol of sanctuary and that hey you support runners and she feels uncomfortable around him and he was still wants to hook up with her because he finds her attractive and everything and she said like i was feeling sad and lonely so i put myself on the circuit so apparently like hey I just want to get laid. You don't have to go to a bar anymore. You just go into this virtual yeah, hologram thing. It's like this thing. weird virtual Tinder type thing or something where if you both agree to it, you can show up in somebody else's house. Or it, Yeah, it was kind of strange. I think another weird, interesting aspect of this, too, when you explore that this movie came out in the 70s, and it's an interpretation of the book, which I haven't read the book. I've read a lot of the summaries of, and I don't know if this uh, aspect is present in the book. But, like, the first thing that they show Logan when he's trying to find something to hook up is with a guy. And he says no, but, like, when Jessica doesn't want to sleep with Logan because, you know, she doesn't like the fact he's a Sandman, he asks her, like, are you into women? Because if you're into women, that's okay. It seems like that homosexuality is not really an issue, apparently, in this future. And that's an interesting yeah. view to be portrayed in a mid-70s movie. Yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking, actually, it was... Not too surprising for the future, at least nowadays, but it's kind of surprising to be in a 1976 movie and kind of thrown in and almost like a throwaway line. Like, if you're not paying attention, you'll kind of miss it. So, eventually, she rebuffs his advances, and she sneaks off because then Francis shows up at his apartment with two women, and then they get high, I assume. And Yeah, some big cloud drops down from the ceiling or something. And then while that happens, Jessica disappears. But that's when, after that, that's when Logan goes and gets his undercover assignment. So what he does is he seeks out Jessica because he remembers that she has the symbol of the Ankh and assumes that she can help get him into the underground. So... Then there's like this whole, you know, scenes where they're trying to help prove the, you know, Logan's trying to prove to Jessica that he's really running where he's like, you know, going into, he gets an assignment to search for a runner. Jessica, on the other hand, her friends want to kill Logan because they don't trust him as a Sandman. Yeah, there's these two weird thugs following them around. And one of them's got like a necklace on that I think he was going to use to strangle him with because at one point he pulls it off and he's kind of got it in like that tourniquet kind of you know thing that he's doing with it yeah and so they go into these weird wasteland parts because it's interesting that it's a utopian society but despite the fact it's a utopian society they still have like a ghetto slum aspect of it where apparently all these kids and punks and other rough people yeah that was another part that i didn't feel was fleshed out very well they go to this weird place it's clearly run down a bit they talk about these cubs and they get in there and there's a bunch of like wild kids almost like lost boys from peter pan there's a society of wild feral kids and yet there's clearly some kind of order there because they mentioned like when he turned one of them, the leader turned 16 he's gonna be kicked out and they're gonna kill him or something it was it was kind of weird and again they didn't really flesh it out and they didn't explain what was going on there too much yeah and another interesting aspect of i think that whole thing there too is that once again you don't know if a logan is actually truly trying to run and if he believes what he's doing or not you don't find or sense that moment when logan truly believes meanwhile you know jessica feels regret that her friends are going to eventually come and try to kill logan and so logan decides i need to get a new identity and because of one of the people that runners he killed earlier he found out the runner got a new face and apparently there's a cosmetic workshop you can go to and get new identities so he goes there to get a new face and the doctor is part of the underground resistance, but then the doctor, you know, then gets orders from like the resistance to kill Logan and Logan kills the doctor. I feel really, this is just a dumb filler scene for the most part. And the only thing that makes this scene completely bizarre is the casting of Farrah Fawcett as the doctor assistant. Yeah. All of a sudden she shows up and she doesn't really do a whole lot in that scene aside from tell Logan that she likes dark hair and he should get dark hair, which seems kind of odd. She's portrayed as being a very vapid, empty-headed character, which comes back later because after 
the lab explodes when Francis, who's been following Logan, finds the lab. He destroys it. They get captured by the resistance, and they're going to kill him until Farrah Fawcett shows up. And basically, her recollection is, well, Logan's the reason why everything went bad. And then Jessica's like, no, that's not what really happened. What happened? And really, it almost felt like a moment where like Farrah Fawcett didn't know what her lines were yeah, for the movie. Yeah, it's really strange. She's kind of like... Really like, no, this is what happened. He came in and he tried to kill us. And then Jessica's like, no, this is what happened. It's a really strange scene. It almost felt like Jessica was feeding Farrah Fawcett her lines. And Farrah's like, no, remember, this is what happened. And the director's just sitting there just regretful. Like, why did did I cast her? Oh, why did I cast her? We don't have the money to reshoot this. We got to go with it. (laughs) So then they basically, you know, convince that resistance that Logan's running and Hey, if you want to go to Sanctuary, there's this like area you go to, and then you'll lead out there. But then, out of nowhere, all the salmon show up, and they start killing most of the resistance. Well, and I think that was didn't Logan set off like a beacon on his Sandman iPod type thing? Like yes. it turned green, and all of a sudden, a few right. minutes later, they blew through the wall. Which, which, like I said, it, it makes it kind of confusing because at this point, that makes it seem like he's still doing his undercover thing. Because I think he thought he found Sanctuary. And so he was summoning all the other Sandmen over to, you know, come take it out. So at this point, it doesn't seem like he's sincere about it, but, you know, his actions up to this point kind of make it seem, it's, like I said, it's kind of cloudy as to what his motivation is. Right. So then there's another, I would definitely call a filler part. So then they go through these tunnels as they're being pursued by Francis. And then they enter this arctically frozen area, which... Let's consider once again, this is set in Washington, D.C. Why would there be subtranium caverns that were all frozen yeah, over? and I think they're... St- are they still in the domes at this point? I, that's, once again, it gets foggy at this point, but they encounter a robot who says, Fish, mineral, plankton, and apparently its job is to store food for the world, but apparently the food supplies dried up, so what he's been doing is freezing every runner that's been coming through there, and you see this whole wall of runners all frozen in ice and then there's a conflict and you have a fight and they escape the conflict and once they escape the conflict guess what they leave the domes and oh the sun what is the sun we've never seen the sun before and yeah they're looking at the sun and they're all confused as to what it is and i think finally they determine after a minute or so they're like we're outside right that's where like the whole movie then like takes a weird shift because you leave this weird utopian future and then you go into, uh, like, outside, and it's the future, and everything's run down. And then you have, like, the fish-out-of-water aspect, where, like, Logan and Jessica goes, what's this? What's this? I don't know what this is. You know, and they're they're playing confused as they're learning about, like, oh, grass, and oh, there's a salamander, and oh, there's all these little things. And eventually, they come across, from a distance, the Washington Monument. And then you learn, hey, they're by Washington, D.C. And... They trek out to D.C. and they hear noise. And uh, they never give the character a name. They credit him as Old Man, but it's played by Peter Ustinov. And basically, you see this old man and they realize, oh, you're old. And guess what? We could be old, too. And then they look at their palms and their palms, now their crystals are white because they... Yeah, they've lost Wi-Fi connection or something from the domes or something. But yeah, they're all, yeah, this whole time they've been glowing different colors or flashing or whatever. But now they're like, they're clear. They don't work. We're free. Right, and then the old man's educating him about all the things. Like, oh, my mother and father had me. I wasn't raised in a weird whatever. I I grew in her belly, at least that's what she told me. Right, and then Francis shows up and like, I'm going to kill you because he's still angry. And then Logan beats Francis to death with the flag of the pole with the U.S. flag on it. And Yeah. I, I don't know if that's symbolism or not, but... It's probably symbolic of something, but I don't know what... So that's when they decide then, hey, we need to go back. And they go back, Logan gets interrogated, and then everything blows up. Yeah, he goes and does that weird interrogation thing that we talked about a little bit earlier. And because of that, like, the computer just, like, starts to blow up, and then Logan gets free, and he shoots a few of the Sandmen that are guarding him, and then he shoots the computer as he leaves, and then the whole place just goes up in flames, basically. And then everybody leaves. All the citizens of the dome leave. And as they all leave, they come across the old man who was waiting outside the dome. And And somehow built a fire. He built a fire. And guess what? Oh, this we could be this person. There's old people. And 
you know, and then the movie just abruptly ends. They, with the whole, like, they basically, the movie's, like, credits are showing the model they built of the city basically burning down and blowing up. And so this was a movie I was always fascinated with as a kid because it made, like, it was like a weird movie in the sense it made no sense in how people could view that of the future. And part of that, it's hard because this movie came out in 76 and that's when I was born. So it's not like I have an actual, you know, accurate temperature of what everything was like back in the 70s. But it's always amusing when you see what everybody's view of the future is. And, you know, nobody can live past 30. And I think the irony of the whole fact that nobody can live past 30 is that you see so many characters that are in the dome that look well into their 40s or 50s. Yeah, yeah. The, like the the Sandmen that are guarding him right at the end there when he's getting interrogated look like they're easily in their 40s. Right. You, you see some actors and like, that person's over 30. Come on. That doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it, it paints basically this whole world that, hey, you know what? You can live and have fun and it's all about pleasure. And, you know, you get that pleasure for 30 years. And then after that, we blow you up. And guess what? You're reborn. And a lot of it is, you know, you consider, right, there was a whole thing about population control maybe involved in this where, hey, we make sure that there's no overpopulation. And Yeah, they kind of make subtle references to some of that stuff. Like they, I think it's in the beginning they mentioned that people have to die at 30 and new ones are born to kind of keep, like, resources under control. And they talk about, like, the robots that are doing all the work. But you never really actually see any of those robots, I think, except for maybe those are robots that come down and vaporize the dead runner's body. But and turn those weren't robots. Those were guys, like, on flying skiffs. Yeah, I suppose. And it, I think the only robot we actually see is that crazy one that's in box. the ice cave. Yeah, Box, who's in the caves that tries to kill him that's freezing everything. But we don't really ever see any automated robots, like, you know, preparing food or doing anything, really. I think another weird aspect of this entire movie, too, is this, is the reason this whole movie goes down the path it does, like, you know, hey, are we established what the rules are, then having Logan go undercover, why did the computer just suddenly decide to send Logan undercover? Yeah, because you got to, because the reason it sends him undercover is he kind of puts the evidence, he pulls off the body of the dead runner on the thing, and when it scans the Ankh, which is the symbol of the sanctuary, it kind of pulls that out and, like, raises a red flag, but I find it hard to believe that that's the first Ankh they've ever found and that he's getting sent on this mission kind of out of the blue. I mean, the computer has all the exposition that, hey, this is, the Ankh is, you know, related to Sanctuary. You are to use this to go find Sanctuary. You're going to go undercover. So it's weird that the computer, out of, like, depending how, it never established how long this society's been existing at this point. Yeah, and it's, I almost got the feeling too, like you could almost interpret it as like the computer knows what's going on and is sending him on this mission so that he can find out what's going on so that things can go back to the way they were or something almost. You, you know what? Actually, I think I do know how long have this has been going on because they reference things like Logan is like Logan 6 and you heard like a few people being 7s. Let's assume that each like number is 30 years. And so if you have people that right. are sevens, that means that for 210 years, this has been how the society has been running and operating at this point. Which raises another question is who set the society up and how did everything, you know, where did these huge domes come from? And, you know, who's the leader of this society? And there's all sorts of unanswered questions of this thing. And I think part of that, too, is that they adapted this from the book and, not knowing what you know about the book, the book was actually similar, except instead of 30, the age was 21, in which everybody had to die or be renewed. And the other thing that's interesting is that in the book, it was completely different to that. It was based on Mars. And at the end, they basically go back to Earth and find out, you know, Earth is like the NASA center in Florida on Earth. And that's where Sanctuary is. Here's another interesting change they did from the book to the movie is that in the book, in the movie, let's make no qualms about it. Francis is a complete asshole. He is clearly established as a horrible villain that doesn't feel any remorse and just is totally bought into doing his job. Yeah, he's pretty much just, the whole time, he's basically all into, let's just have fun, let's party, let's get these women, let's, you know, everything. And the whole time he's chasing Logan, he's just, you know, he he sees him free a runner at one point in the middle of the movie when they're at the Cubs area. And he's just, he's kind of almost remorselessly going after him without asking his, you know, 
presumably his best friend, like, you know, hey, why are you doing this? What's going on? You know, like, we have this history of 20-some years together, presumably, because I think Logan says he's got four years left. So, yeah. You know, so presumably they've been friends for quite a while, and he just kind of turns his back on him without asking him, like, you know, why are you doing this? What's your motive? You know, what's what's going on in your head? Well, and I think that was the other political message they threw in there, too, is that those that follow the system versus those who question the system and you know, how they're at odds and how it's hard to see other points of view. You could easily read all that into that. Now, what if I were to tell you in the book that Francis is actually a good guy? It, Knowing how much they change movies from books, it wouldn't surprise me a whole lot, but it's, you know... What if I were to tell you in the book that Francis was actually 42 years old, was using cosmetic, you know, surgery to make him look younger, and he was the person that was helping Logan and Jessica secretly escape? Wow. It almost makes you wonder why they kept the same name on the character. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, they completely changed everything, and I guess that was why it took so long for this movie to get made, is they had so many fights about what to change and what to adapt in there, and... You know, it's you. You want to make a movie that obviously your audience can relate to, but yeah, it's 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 a weird movie in the sense that the first half of this movie is just this weird, just retro sci-fi movie, complete with like Flash Gordon-like Casio keyboards. It's very seventies. Like you know, again, you you can really tell that this is before Star Wars. Like the soundtrack is very seventies. The music, the the fashion, the whole just. The, all the sensibilities about it just screamed 70s to me. And then you go to the second half of the movie when they're in the real world. And honestly, the real world is really boring. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Although I will say I was kind of impressed with the way they had Washington, D.C. laid out, how it was all overgrown. I did think that was you know, kind of cool, one of the cooler parts of it. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot going on there. They kind of want, they stumble into the Lincoln Memorial and they check in there. Look, that guy looks old. Is that what happens to us when we get old? And they they kind of either montage or do like time jumps where like, oh, you know, this is the old man. Like this is what this is for. And then you have, you know, like you see them wandering around and as they're discovering things, but you don't you don't really get a good feeling of them reacting or processing because these are people that have never seen the sun. They've never seen vegetation and growth like trees. They've never probably seen the buildings they've seen. You don't get any feeling. They kind of really gloss over that. And I think part of it is is they kind of, like, this is, this is probably one of my biggest beefs, I think, when I have the movie. This movie's two hours long. Yeah, and it, it kind of feels like by the time it gets to the end, you're like, okay, let, let's go here. Let's well, pick it up. And I think the weird thing is when you get to the end, like, you know, you spend maybe about the first hour in, in the dome. You spend about 30 minutes or so, you know, 30, 40 minutes, them exploring out of the dome. And then they go back, and, and then everything's wrapped up, I think, in about 15 to 20 minutes when they get back to the dome, pretty much. Yeah, the ending does come pretty quick. They get back to the dome, they swim in, like, through some kind of water intake vents or something and they go to where the carousel area is and they just start screaming like maniacs like no no you don't have to do this you don't you know there's another way or something and everybody kind of looks up like they're insane which you know they to be fair they kind of are and then that's when he gets arrested which i wasn't quite sure why they didn't just shoot him on sight because essentially he's still a, a runner and that's basically what they've done with all the other runners they've basically just shot them and killed them on sight so i'm not sure why they felt the need to take him into custody I right i mean they brought everything back and then once again i think that's the other thing is you don't know how much the computer that made logan go undercover is really controlling things because it's sending the assignments to everybody so if it sensed that logan was back inside the dome you know did it just say just retrieve him and bring him back here? yeah that is that is a fair point is that the computer may have just said hey logan's back and i sent him on an undercover mission go get him and don't kill him because we need to ask him some questions right and i think the weird thing is this is all right Let's say that Logan didn't turn. Let's say that Logan successfully completed his mission and he found what Sanctuary is. What would the computer do with that information? Because really, the computer says, under, get undercover and find Sanctuary. The mission really isn't, hey, you know, or when you find the resistance, alert us where the resistance is, all right? You, let's say you wiped out the majority of the resistance. What are you going to do with the information that there's a Sanctuary? Because obviously, if you're the computer and your whole programming is about controlling everything and trying to keep everybody subservient in this utopian life, then why risk it by having somebody find something that proves otherwise? Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, they never really explain why running is a bad thing. I mean, aside from just 
keeping order and keeping things the way they are for everything. I mean, if some guy wants to run off and doesn't want to get on the carousel ride of Doom, then, you know, I don't see what the big deal is aside from it, you know, just not conforming with society and maybe that dissension would spread to others. But, I mean, running in and of itself doesn't, you know, they're just trying to get away. They're not trying to, like, blow up the city or anything. Well, and the other thing the computer does that tips its hand, which really the computer needs to get better at just withholding information is that, when they're, it's initially giving Logan the mission to go undercover, it reveals that hey, over one thousand thirteen hundred or you know thirteen hundred people have ran and have not been accounted for. Which Logan's response is, "Well, wait, does that mean that they never renewed? Has anybody ever renewed?" And the computer kind of insinuates, yeah, it, just kind of, it just kind of clams up. I don't think it says anything, if I remember right. Right. It, it basically tips its hand that hey, renewal's kind of a joke at this point, and. You know, hey, these are the amount of people I've gone through. And, you know, when you go back to my initial theory that, all right, let's say 210 years have gone, you have 1,000 people have tried running, so you divide that by, or 1,300 divided by 7, that's about, what, uh, 200 people a year running? Yeah, roughly, which seems like a low number because, I mean, it seems like a pretty routine thing for these guys. I mean, there's a lot of Sandmen. You can see these guys, you know, when they're in the carousel room, there's a lot of them hanging out out there. And it seems like a fairly routine thing when a runner comes like, oh, it's another runner, whereas you'd think you'd have a lot more, the number would be a lot higher you for know, runners. we got to change that, do. though, because that's the 1,300 that was unaccounted for. That's not probably counting the people that they have caught. Okay, so that's 13 that escaped and they don't know, that right. didn't get caught. Okay, that that would make more sense. Yeah, that, that would make more sense. And that's the other thing, is like, it's also how indoctrinated the entire society is, too, because when they're doing the whole carousel thing, everybody's like cheering as if it's the Super Bowl. It, yeah, it's, it's played up like a sporting event, basically. It's got, you know, stadium seating around the, the carousel, which sits in the center and everybody's cheering them on like you know renew renew and they're throwing their hands up in the air and they're cheering and everything yeah it's it's i i think it's a question like the movie itself i i find it so fascinating because it's a movie that has such a weird premise and i think it doesn't know what it really wants to be and the reason i say that is because you go from the early where you establish the premise of hey here's what the society is then it's about logan trying to get laid then he like gets rebuked, you know, buked, and then from there he tries becoming a runner. There's there's a lot of like you know vanity that the society shows. They also have a place which is a sex club. Yeah, it was kind of a weird brothel orgy room that it was kind of weird. They're, they're Jessica and Logan run through it to escape at one point, and they just, I don't know if it was shot in slow motion or if they were slowed down somehow getting in there and once they walked in people just like grabbed them and pulled them in which seemed kind of like there was like some gas in the air that makes everybody just horny as hell and it and part of it is is a a scene like that apparently the secret entrance to the resistance is at the sex club yeah it was in the back of it or something right and the weird thing is like the it's a scene that feels so tacked on like it's one of those things like the makers of the movie like listen we can't come at this too heavy-handed. We got to have something that's going to make the kids really be excited. So what I think they did is I took like a page out of Barbarella and says we just got to get some nudity and fucking in here. Let's just get some people. Yeah, in it was here. almost like they felt they hadn't shown enough because they kind of make it a point in the beginning to say that this is a society that just lives to basically for excess. They live for pleasure, and you know, they, it was almost like they said we haven't shown that enough. Let's throw in a big orgy sex room in here. Right. So yeah, it's just a weird. Like, it's a weird shift on the tone where it feels like it's more like service for, you know, the people watching the movie than to the plot of the movie itself. And you can definitely, I think, feel where there was, like, several ideas they had in this movie. And then they put them all together. And I just want to make a disclaimer here because there's things we're nitpicking about. I still love the hell out of this movie because of just how surreal. I mean, it's it's one of those movies, like, with the podcast, How Did This Get Made?, I would love them just watch and focus on this movie itself because there's just so many odd choices that they make. Yeah, I in feel this like movie. if Mystery Science Theater 3000 wanted to do this, if they could afford the rights to it, they would have a field day with it. And this was a movie that, like, I love because it made me just question, like, you know what? What is conventional entertainment? When I was younger, you see movies that follow, like, these, you know, traditional movie arcs. Like, when I saw this movie, it was in the 90s, and that's where. You were at probably the height of the summer blockbuster mindless movies. You had, you know, Terminator 2. You had The Last Action Hero. You had all these 
big budget movies with a lot of huge explosions. And when I watched something like this at the age I was, it just fascinated me that somebody said, I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to take this weird future. And I think part of it is this, is that going back to what I said about how they made a lot of just very dystopian movies back in the 70s, that kind of got lost in the 80s. The 80s, I think, became much more about comedies where you had a lot of those. You had those like edgy PG-13 where you had swearing and some nudity. And you had a lot of like, I think, when you got to the middle of the 80s and going on, just all of these huge ultra-violent movies. You had Predator, Robocop. You had, you know, Cobra. You had all these movies were just shooting and just, you know, hyper-violence. And now if you were to try to make a movie like that nowadays... It would probably throw some people off with some of its excess. The 90s were about the big spectacle. I don't think it was until you got to the, I would say, 2000 or so or on that you started getting the movies that said, why don't we start making messed up movies again? Let's make a movie where the premise is just kind of out there and experiment with what people's perceptions are, what entertainment is. Like as an example... You know, when they adopted Fight Club from the books to the movie. Once again, that was a movie right there where it kind of messed with your conventions that this is what you think the movie is, but it isn't. Um, one movie that I just saw that was just uh, added back onto uh, Netflix a while back, uh, at least last month or two. Have you ever seen the movie Moon? Yes, with uh, Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Yes, I watched it a year or so, two years ago maybe. Yeah, and I remember seeing that about several, I think a decade ago, around when it first came out. And that's, again, that's one of those movies that you watch there, and it just messes with just what your idea of what a movie's supposed to be. And yeah, definitely. and I think that's part of what Logan's Run's problem is it kind of jumps between wanting to be like a smart, hard science fiction movie, but also wants to have spectacle and action. And it kind of, at different points of the movie, it kind of jumps between those two premises and what it kind of makes it uneven and kind of, like you mentioned before it doesn't really know what it wants to be exactly right but you could see just all these like weird beautiful ideas conceived in there it's the execution i think that kind of gets thrown off and i i think that's why i like the movie in many ways is that you see all these great ideas and think what if they would have done this and especially when you consider right now some of the modern entertainment because going back one movie that came out in the mid-70s was Westworld, and when you look at how Westworld now has been readapted by HBO over the past couple of years, and once again, the subverting of the idea of what is considered reality, what is what is perfect, what isn't perfect, and... Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, they are looking at like remaking this into a movie, and I've been talking about that for a few years now, I guess, and I think, I don't think a movie would, I think it'd be just as bad as this, maybe not just as bad, but I think if you were to flesh it out into... A TV series, you know, like you'd said, like Westworld did, and you could kind of see a little bit more of the society before he starts running. And I think you could, if this world got flushed out a little bit more, I think it'd be a lot more interesting. Well, here's a fun fact right there. How would, I don't know if you know this, they did make this into a TV show. Yeah, that's right. Now that you mentioned it, I did see that it was a short lived TV show. It was it? back in like about a year or so afterwards. They made it, and they only made about like a dozen episodes or so, if I'm right. And I remember watching some of these episodes too. Um, when, it was shortly around after I saw the movie. I remember, I can't remember if it was on like Nick at Night or if it was like on one of those stations that always just like showed like smatterings of syndication. I want to say it was Sci Fi actually. I think it was like the Sci Fi channel and it was on like late at night or something like that. But they made it and it was it was horrible. The, the was show it, was it the same. No. Like universe technically, or was it just basically Logan's run, like a it's, different take on it's it? It's the same concept, like, hey, Logan and Jessica escaped the dome, but then they have like an older guy with them that's kind of like a smarter professor type, and then it's basically the Sandman trying to bring Logan back, and it had all the visual aesthetics, like imagine like a, a Logan's run done in the like filming in like TV style of like Dukes of Hazard and A-Team. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it wasn't that good. So I mean, they did try making a TV show, but I think that's part of it too. Is that it's the time and era of like how people want to be challenged mentally. Like back yeah. then, yeah, TV was basically just kind of like a mindless throwaway. It wasn't meant to be very thought provoking most of the time. Right. You know, you had like the TV shows you had back then, and it's not to say those shows were bad, but there was also a different type of audience, and there was a different yeah. type of entertainment. It was a different era. 
Right. So I, I you know, re- that's why I want to review this movie. I One thing I was thinking of doing, too, I still have this in the hopper, because I was also was thinking of trying to also, uh, for my podcast, and I don't know if you've seen these or not, did you ever watch Buck Rogers? I used to watch it when I was a kid, I remember, because it came on, I want to say, after Battlestar Galactic. Right. I've seen, you've seen I've, Battlestar. I've, I've seen, yeah, and I've seen a few of the... The old 1970s or 80s, whenever it came out, you know, I'm not super familiar with it anymore because it's been probably a good 20, 30 years since I've seen any of it. I I'd love to do an episode that focuses on like early 80s sci-fi or what I what I like to call is the post Star Wars period where everybody was trying to copy Star Wars. Yeah, and the weird parallels because I think the odd thing is this is that if there's a way to explain Logan's run is that. I would say that instead of Star Wars being what spawned Battlestar Galactica and uh, Buck Rogers, I almost feel like Logan's run was the parents of these two, except both their kids came out differently. Because you had Battlestar Galactica, which was a much more serious show in some ways. Or it was a show about... It, it, it wasn't as heavy-handed about the cultural aspect of, like, hey, this is the 70s going on. You had lightheartedness where you had, like, you know, Starbuck, you as your hand, Han Solo-type character, which kind of gave the show a little bit of a brevity to it. But it was still about, hey, we need to find our home, we need to find Earth. Whereas Buck Rogers was the most late 70s damn thing that you could ever possibly Yeah, have. very much so. And I feel like that one wasn't quite as cerebral as Battlestar Galactic oh, was trying was to be. it was not cerebral at all. It was, it was, yeah, it was basically just an adventure action show, you know. It was the, the most sitcom sci-fi show you could ever have, where you had, hey, look, we got uh, Gary Coleman as a special guest star. Hey, look, here's, like, disco kids and... You know, they're like being mind-controlled music. Hey, look, everybody wearing these skin-tight outfits and everything's <laughs> all sexified. That's what Buck Rogers was until its second season. Because the second season, okay. I don't know if you remember, that's when they had the writer's strike. And after the writer's strike, they had you know decided, we're going to retool the show completely. So instead of it being about Buck Rogers and the Earth-like global defense, you know, trying to protect Earth... Then all of a sudden it's like Buck Rogers, Wilma, and Tweaky on a ship basically exploring and trying to find new worlds. And on top of that, that's when they introduced the character Hawk. Uh, I don't know if you remember Hawk. I do not remember Hawk at all. There was a character named Hawk. And it basically, Rick and Morty, you've watched, right? Of course. Birdman, the bird person, is basically (laughs) kind of like what Hawk was. was Hawk isn't just a cool name. He was actually a bird person. Right, he Basically. he had like this. He looked like a hawk, where his hair wasn't hair. It looked like somebody like made cartoon. Like honestly, just Google this shit, and you're gonna laugh. <laughs> but that's where he was out there, and at first he was an adversary of Buck Rogers. But then like they came to an understanding, and then he became his ally, and nice. the whole show lost it at that point because that that was like a weird premise of like back in the seventies too, where like you would take a premise, and then what you'd do is you'd flip it around, like. I I don't know if you remember like the original Wonder Woman TV show. Yeah, a little bit. Wasn't it weird how like hey, it's Wonder Woman in the you know like uh, World War Two. Then all of a sudden Wonder Woman like in season two left World War Two. Yeah, and, it and then present be- day right. It then she was like this spy for this organization that did things, and then there was aliens and other stuff. So it was just this weird shift of just things. Yeah, you're go- you, wow. I, I did just Google Hawk from Buck Rogers, and that is. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, that's that's some good stuff right there. He's got a wife that looks just like him. Yeah, he he does have a mate. <laughs> yeah, that's a that you can tell it's clearly just a helmet that they put a bunch of feathers on and put on his head. <laughs> right. Very well, nice. yeah, bird person from Rick and Morty. That's basically that, that's, hawk right yes, there, pretty much. So now now we're just going down like a weird memory lane of just old seventy shows. But yeah, I think we've that, kind of gotten off the rails a bit. But I, I think that's part of it is, like, I I like to think in some ways, like, the shows like and movies like Logan's Run and, you know, Omega Man and all of those help influence and inform other shows and movies where it's like, hey, here's these ideas. And they didn't have the ideas always perfected, but I think other people did still run with it. Then I, I think, like, in the 80s, it just didn't become cool to have smart sci-fi anymore. And... Yeah, there was definitely a lack of it then. I mean, you had E.T., I would say, but that's uh, sci-fi, but kind of a very soft family sci-fi. Um, yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot now that I'm thinking about it until, like you, like you mentioned, you get to the 
latter part when you had you know aliens and predator but those were i I think your only other movie that you have which was maybe more lighthearted in the 80s is like the last starfighter in the sense that it's a space movie and sci-fi movie but it's also grounded on earth in certain ways like that which i've also not seen Wait, you've never seen The Last Starfighter? I know. Turn in my geek card. Holy shit. They're, they're also supposedly remaking that. I, I would say this. Like, <laughs> I'll, we'll, all right, we're going to have to there, get there The we Last go. Starfighter. There's another, this podcast has turned into John watching sci-fi movies he hasn't seen yet. Well, which I'm okay with. And that's part of it is I love revisiting the things that I liked as a kid. And, you know, watching this, you know, this is the first time I've done a full viewing of this movie in probably about several years or so. My wife... When she found out that uh, John and I were going to be watching this, she's like, "All right, you have fun with that. That's that's <laughs> I'll a movie. be over here." But I mean, that's it's one of those things I like watching just because of just the overall absurdity of just how. Just well, it's one of those movies. I think you can, if assuming you don't just outright hate it, you can kind of have it on in the background, and then just you know while you're cleaning the house or something, you can turn. Oh, it's the insane scene where they're you know running through the sex scene or you know whatever. But it's weird because the movie's also got like. Because of this movie, there's like times like you know I I remember like when this like there was times in the course of my life where I've just sat there and I see like somebody trying to get away and I go runner yeah <laughs> which they just for some reason like they have a runner that's trying to escape and they just like yelling runner yeah know? it's kind of bizarre they they yell runner and then all of a sudden like the runner pokes their head out head out of wherever they're hiding it's like oh he's calling me I'd better oh crap it was a trap it is indeed a trap so. So wrapping everything up, yeah, this this is uh, definitely something I wanted to cover at one point or another. Uh, it's I'm glad I was able to experience with somebody. I was like, when I have somebody that's never seen something like this before, because it's always just there's that nice fresh viewing of like them saying every like five six minutes, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this definitely has that. I would, I mean, it it's hard to say if it's something that people should seek out and go find. I mean, I think if you see it on TV or. If you're sitting down and you're looking for something on Netflix, assuming it's on there and, you know, you come across it, it's, it's a good brainless movie to watch. Or if you're just hanging out with your friends and want to have something to poke up, poke your head up every now and then and make fun of. It, it, it's a movie that comes off very cheesy and just, it wants to be this amazingly serious and deep concept movie, but then it just keeps sabotaging itself every now and then, so. Yeah. Well, this wraps up this latest episode. I do appreciate all of you taking the time to uh, come and listen to it. Um, if you have any suggestions or feedback, just leave it on our social media pages itself. John, thank you for enduring this movie. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> Runner. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>